Well, thank you, choir, orchestra, Liberty University. We appreciate you being here today. James asked a question, interesting, provoking, when he said, what is your life? If I were to ask you that question today, how would you respond? What is your life? How would you describe it? What would you say about it? There are a variety of responses. Benjamin Disraeli said, youth is a blunder, manhood a struggle, old age a regret. Shakespeare wrote, life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Samuel Butler said, life is one long process of getting tired. A French philosopher said, life is an onion, one cries while peeling it. There was a college that asked their students that question for the school newspaper. They responded, and the honorable mentions are these. Life is a joke that isn't even funny. Another said life is a disease for which the only cure is death. Another, life is a jail sentence that we get for the crime of being born. Well, today we continue looking at the miracles of Jesus, and our subject is life and death. Take your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 11. We'll begin in verse number 30, the passage of Scripture dealing with the resurrection of Lazarus. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then, who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, Behold how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man also from dying. Jesus states the heart of this miracle when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. One thing that is certain, one thing we all will experience is that we will die. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, It is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. Today we look at Lazarus. I would imagine that he was probably a, from a good family. Maybe he was healthy. Perhaps he worked out. He ate his bran. He did all those things he was supposed to do. But as we look at Lazarus, speculating what kind of man he might have been, regardless, he died. 
The Apostle Paul who gave his life to the Lord and served the Lord faithfully wrote so much of the scripture. A great man of God and yet he was executed. He said the time of my departure is at hand. He knew that he also was going to die. Ladies and gentlemen, if the Lord tarries in his coming, you and I will die. I have recently, as I read the newspaper, looked at the obituary section. One of the surprises to me is that there are so many people my age who are dying. What's that about? I mean, people who are young, people who are in the prime of life, and yet they also are dying. Death is certain. Death is universal. No matter what one's religion is, they are going to experience death. Whether one is a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, they are going to experience death. Whether one is a Methodist, a Baptist, a Presbyterian, an Episcopalian, they are going to experience death. I read the story about a Baptist preacher and a Methodist preacher. They were talking one day and they were talking about their ministry and the fact that they would die. And so the Baptist said to the Methodist preacher, when you die and it is all over, you're lying there in state, you're lying in your coffin, people walk by, what would you like them to say about you? And he said, well, I would like for them to say that I was a good man, that I loved my family, I was faithful to my wife, that I loved the church, I loved God, and so forth. He said, what would you like for them to say? The Baptist thought for about five seconds and said, I'd like for them to say, look, he's moving. No matter what your religion, you're going to die. No matter what your, your political party might be, Republican, Democrat, Independent, you're going to die. Perhaps you've been praying for the death of some. I'll not ask that question. No matter your finances, rich or poor, you're going to die. Your nationality, you're going to die. All of us die. That's one thing we have in common. But the Bible tells us that Jesus raised three people from the dead. One was the daughter of Jairus. You probably recall the story that he had come to Jesus and said, my daughter is ill, will you come and do something? And then he received word that his daughter had actually died. Jesus nevertheless went to the home and the scripture says in Mark 5, 41 and 42, and taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl rose and began to walk. That is one person Jesus resurrected from the dead, this little girl. Then there is the boy from Nain. He had died. His mother was leading a funeral procession. And as they were in this funeral procession, Jesus interrupted them. And in Luke chapter 7, verses 14 and 15, and he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. So we see three examples, including Lazarus, where Jesus took someone who had died and gave them life. But being physically alive does not mean one has life. In fact, I notice that most people fear death 
but they don't enjoy life. We're scared to die, but we don't enjoy the life that we have. So the politicians and the academicians offer us advice and we spend billions of dollars trying to implement the advice that they give to us. How can you, how can a person have life? I mean, how can we enjoy life? How can we experience life? So they tell us, well, what is needed is an example. You, you need a mentor to know how to live life, so you need an example. All right. Let's say that I have a dead person up here. And I say to you, all right, I want you to come and, and show this person what it means to live. Do some push-ups or something. Jump, jump around, do something. But show them what it means to live. And you come and give an example. But ladies and gentlemen, example alone cannot cause someone to have life. You might have an example. You might have a mentor. But that alone does not mean that one has life. Then they say, well, they need encouragement. What we need to do is to encourage the person to live. We need to encourage them to have life. All right. Well, then let's bring up a motivational speaker. And a motivational speaker will speak to this person and say, you can do it. If you will follow these 12 steps, you're going to have life. You're going to be able to do it. So they try to motivate the person. We even bring in cheerleaders and they jump around and cheer this person on because the person needs to be encouraged to live life. But you can't encourage the dead to life. Then they would say to us, well, we need to improve the environment. If we provide a person with the proper environment, then they will live life. They will enjoy life. So let's make sure that we have health care for them. Let's make sure that we have housing for them, that we have justice, equality, all of these things. Let's provide an environment where someone can experience life. May I remind you that Adam and Eve had a perfect environment. They had a perfect environment and yet they sinned against God and they died. Well, maybe it's education. Maybe they don't know the difference between death and life. So what we need to do is to educate the person as to what life is. But education is not the problem for someone who is dead. How do we have life? How do you have life? The answer to life is the Word of God. In fact, I was reading that yesterday, and I think we miss it sometimes when we don't understand that the, that the essence of life is in the Word of God. In fact, as I was reading this passage of Scripture, I don't, I don't think I'd ever focused on this before, but I, I see Lazarus now who is being raised from the dead and he was raised from the dead by the word of God. Now look at this. Verse number 39. Jesus said, remove the stone. Jesus said. Martha was hesitant at first because he had been dead and so his body had already begun to deteriorate. But I want you to notice that this is the word of God. Jesus said. 
Then look at verse number 43. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. When he had said these things. Again, it's the word of God. Jesus said. Now look at verse number 44. He who had died came forth bound hand and foot with wrappings. And his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said. His life came as a result of the Word of God. The life was in the Word. Now, as we look there, there at that last verse, the Bible says that he had life, but he was still bound. He was still wearing grave clothes. Well, folks, if we have life, we shouldn't be walking around dressed in grave clothes. And yet so many people who say they are Christians look as if they are dead. They act as if they're dead. Still dressed in grave clothes. Unbinding. Let him go. There are so many people who have been to Calvary for pardon. But they've never gone to Pentecost for power. And we're still walking around as believers in Christ dressed in our grave clothes. Rather than having life that comes from the word of God dressed in grave clothes. When I look at Lazarus, I look at this passage of scripture and those three times I saw Jesus said, Jesus said, Jesus said. Life was in the word. Moses said to the Hebrews that life was in the Word of God. In fact, Moses was concerned that after he had died that the Hebrews would turn again to idolatry, that they would turn away from God. So he warned them about that temptation and then he gave them this promise, Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 47. For it is not an idle word for you, indeed, it is your life. To the Hebrews, you need to understand that life is in the Word of God. You need to saturate yourself with the Word of God. Concerned that they would turn away from God, that they would turn back to idolatry, that life is in the Word. It's in the Word of God. The psalmist said that life was in the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 37. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in thy ways. Establish thy word to thy servant. My friend, we are all physically alive today. But do you have life? How would you describe your life? You're not going to have life as a result of someone's example. You're not going to enjoy life or have life because someone encourages you. You're not going to experience life because of education. Not, not the depths of it. And all those things are good. See, we ought to encourage each other. We ought to set examples for each other. We ought to educate ourselves. 
But if you're going to have life, let me say to you, you'll find it in the Word of God. John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. You want life? It's in the Word of God. So then we are made alive and we desire an abundant life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. But what is abundant life? Uh, you know, we talk about that. You know that verse of Scripture. You can repeat that verse. What does it mean to have an abundant life? Well, I'm sure a lot of things. Let me suggest a couple of things to you. Because we all want an abundant life. I don't want to just go through the motions and come to the end and kick off and buried and then you all go out and eat potato salad within an hour. I mean, I want to live my life, don't you? I want to live my life, ever how long it is. How do we have an abundant life? Well, first of all, I think it comes as the result of liberty or freedom. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 1, Paul wrote, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. I would emphasize that just a little bit because I think that I think that we have lost the importance of freedom. So we give it away, we give it away so easily today. Our forefathers understood the importance of freedom. So in the founding documents in the Declaration of Independence in the Constitution, they talked about freedom. It was freedom. It was liberty. That's what they talk about. Well, today that has been changed very subtly. And we don't talk so much about freedom anymore and liberty anymore. We talk about equality now. That is the focus, equality. You know what that means? Folks, we can be equally miserable. I mean, we're equal. Does that bring joy to your heart? No. See, the reason freedom is important is because God made you and you need the freedom to be all that God made you to be. That's the reason freedom is important. That's the reason liberty is important. God has a plan for your life and you need to be free to pursue that plan, to be who God wants you to be. One of the temptations I suppose that all of us have is that we want people to fit our mold. Our children, we want them to do things the way we did things. People in the church, we want them to do things the way that I want them to do. We want them to fit in the mold that I have created. No. God made you. And you need to have the freedom to be the person God made you to be. Freedom is important. Liberty gives us an abundant life and then love. Adrian Rogers says the ministry of the church is twofold. To call forth the dead and to unwrap the saints to give them liberty. The legalism of religion stands in opposition to the freedom that comes from Christ. Liberty, you want an abundant life, then you have to be who God created you to be. Liberty, freedom, and then love. If you're going to have an abundant life, then you're going to have to be a person who loves. We are to love our neighbor, 
Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, of course, Jesus repeated that because we are to love our neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Someone like me, the Jews said. My neighbor is someone like me. Who is your neighbor? You're to love your neighbor. No matter who that person is, you are to love your neighbor. The Bible says that we are to love our enemies. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. Folks, if we're going to have an abundant life, if you're going to have satisfaction in life, then you need freedom to be who God created you to be, and then you must be a person of love. That we love our neighbor, we love our enemy, and we love God. And Luke 10, verse 27, Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. An abundant life, I want that. I assume you do as well. It's just oftentimes we look in the wrong places for an abundant life. If you want an abundant life, you need the freedom that comes from Christ to be the person God wants you to be and you need to live a life of love. You love your neighbor, love your enemy, and love God with your heart, soul, and mind. I wish I loved God more, and I ask the Lord to help me to love him more. Because God has so blessed my life, and because he is worthy, we are to love him. And then if we have an abundant life that results in fellowship with Christ. In Revelation chapter 3, verse number 20, the Bible says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Normally that verse of scripture is used in evangelism, that Jesus is standing at the door of the heart knocking, and if you open the door, then he'll come in and dine with you. Actually, he was writing to the church. That is a message to the church that he is giving. And he's talking about fellowship. I stand at the door of the church and I knock. And if you'll open the door, I'll come in and dine with you. I'll fellowship with you. How do we have fellowship with the Lord? Well, prayer. You see, as I pray, that is me talking to the Lord. As I, as I spend time in the Lord, I spend I talk to the Lord through reading his Bible, the Word of God. That's God talking to me. You know, I mean, they, they go together. As, as I spend time in devotion, there's prayer. As I spend time talking to the Lord, I probably have said before that when I pray, the first thing I try to do is begin by praising him, praising the Lord because of who he is and then thanking him for what he's done. But as we spend time with the Lord, then that is the way we have fellowship with Him. So we spend time praying, that's talking to the Lord. We spend time reading His Word, that's listening to the Lord. And then we have fellowship with Him as we share His sufferings. Philippians 3.10 says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship 
of his sufferings. I just soon he'd left that one out, wouldn't you? The fellowship I share, the fellowship of his suffering. Well, we go from life to abundant life to loyalty. Now look at chapter 12, verse number 9. The great multitude, therefore, of the Jews learned that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests took counsel that they might put Lazarus to death, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. A person who goes to life, to abundant life, to liberty, is a dangerous person to Satan. And so it says there that they wanted to kill Lazarus. They wanted to kill him. That's a little amusing to me. There is an irony to me about that. They wanted to kill him. He had just died and Jesus raised him. So you're going to kill him? Maybe it won't last. Maybe Jesus will do it again, but they wanted to kill him. Now, why did they want to kill him? Because the Bible says that many were believing in Jesus because of him. Because here is a man who has life. Now, think about this. Here is someone who was dead, and now then he has life, and I would say an abundant life, as a result of that, people wanted to be like him. People are attracted to life. They're not attracted to death. They wanted to be like him, so as a result of that, they wanted to kill him because many people were following him. My guess is that as a result of what happened to Lazarus, that he had no fear of the grim reaper. He probably had no fear of death. He'd already tried it. So now that he has no fear of death. Stephen was stoned for his faith, but he had no fear. In Acts 7, 56, he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He faced death, but had no fear. Paul, in a Roman prison, the time of my departure is at hand. He knew that he was going to die. The time of my departure is at hand. Fought a good fight. Finished my course and kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will give me. He had no fear of death. I think, and I'm certainly hoping, because as I mentioned earlier, there are some people my age I've noticed are dying. I know they're dying early, but they're nevertheless dying. It is my hope that if we have been given life in Jesus Christ, that we are living an abundant life and we're living loyally, then he will give us confidence when we face death. Let me conclude. Without Jesus, the Bible says we are spiritually dead. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 1, Paul wrote, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He didn't say we were feeling badly. He didn't say we were limping along. 
He said, you were dead. But we are given life through Jesus Christ. John eleven twenty six. Jesus said, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? We had a question from James. We have a question from Jesus. What is your life? Do you believe this? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus can give you life, that we have life in him? If you've never experienced Jesus and life, we encourage you to today. If you know the Lord, then I'm praying that you'll have an abundant life. Our gracious Father, as we come to a time of invitation, I pray your blessings, your anointing on the invitation. For those who do not know you, that today they would trust you. And Lord, for those who do, that we would live victoriously in Christ Jesus, in whose name I pray, amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please. As we stand together, the choir will sing. God has spoken to your heart, you come. If you've never trusted Christ, do so today. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. You come, we'll greet you as you do.